All right, let's get started. Uh, let's start with a word of prayer. Father God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for giving another opportunity to come before you and to learn from you. And Lord, we pray that you will open our hearts, that you will open our minds. And Lord, we pray that we will know more about how you have acted in history and how you sent your son Jesus for our salvation. We pray all this in his name. Amen. All right, good morning, and uh, this will be our last class in this series. Um, so just to give you a serious series overview, if uh, you have missed any of these, you can find them at the website. The link is at the bottom of your page. We started with um, different heresies. We spoke about the heresy against the Word of God. We spoke about Gnosticism. We spoke about heresies against Christ's nature, his divinity, and his humanity. And then we looked at the creeds last week to see how different creeds uh, have different sections which address all these heresies, right? So if you have missed any of these, of course, go find them in the, on the website. The link is at the bottom of your page. So how we have progressed is just Word of God and then Gnosticism, which was a very uh, critical heresy in the early church, and it touched about many things. It touched about the nature of God. It touched about creation. It touched about matter. It touched about so many things. And then we moved to Christological heresies, and then we looked at creeds. So today, the last one, we will look at the nature of man. So our heresy today, which is called Pelagianism, it concerns, or it was a controversy about human nature, right? So we've done looking at Christ and his nature. Now, what about man? Like, how do you understand man and, and everything that's happened? I mean, if you look at Gnosticism, it said matter was evil, and the, which means the human body was evil, right? Anything that's material is evil is what Gnosticism said. And they believe that the human body was evil, and whatever the light that is inside of you needs to be delivered from the human body and be united with the good. And uh, because of which there was a strong sense of fatalism through these Gnostic or pagan teachings, right? So there's all these eons or uh, what we call pleroma, the fullness, whatever, uh, however they call it, they are controlling the world and because of which man is sort of, doesn't have the capacity because he's stuck in this human body. As long as he's stuck in this human body, he will commit evil. He will sin. So there was a kind of a fatalism that there's nothing you can do. It's almost like you're a robot, right? Because the external forces are controlling you and you're stuck in this body, there's nothing you can do. And the early church actually opposed a lot of this. And when we spoke about Gnosticism, uh, if you remember, we spoke that only the elect have that light in them, and because of which the early church stressed a lot on the human responsibility side of, um, or stressed a lot on man's responsibility more than God's sovereignty, because stressing a lot on God's sovereignty would play into the fatalism view, and they stayed away from that much. It's not that they did not believe it, but they just stressed a lot on human responsibility. 
and they used arguments to show that God is sovereign and prophecy, right? Prophecy just doesn't happen. God said that he would do this and it was fulfilled. So which shows that God is in control. It's not just fatalistic where things are determined and we cannot do anything about it. They also stressed a lot on human will. They said humans have a will. And if you remember, one of the controversies was monotheletism, which is what's the will of Jesus? He had, does he have a human will and a divine will, will, or does he have one will and things like that? So there was a stress on human will. That is what the early church teach, taught, and they, they had two beliefs in the early church about human nature, and this formed the basis of all understanding of human nature. Um, Looks like you guys are struggling to see the slides. I don't know if you want to move. Okay. Uh, two beliefs. So first thing is that humanity is fallen and needs divine help for salvation. Right? Humanity is fallen and it needs divine help for salvation. You cannot save yourself. Right? That is what the early church taught. And then the second thing that they also taught or believed was that humans have a will. Humans have a will and they are responsible for their sin, right? So these were the two beliefs that the early church held. Humanity is fallen and needs divine help for salvation. Humans have a will and are responsible for their sin. But the controversy about human nature also came into the church and it uh, reached its peak in the late fourth century and or early fifth century in the form of Pelagianism, okay? And we'll look at more today, and this is just setting the stage for how we get to Pelagianism and what happened. So it's about human nature. How do you understand human nature, right? Um, the controversy surrounded two individuals, Pelagius, from whom we get the name Pelagianism, and Augustine. And we'll look at both of them briefly in the next slides. And the controversy started because of Augustine's prayer. So Augustine, in his book, The Confessions, which is his autobiography, he wrote a prayer. Lord, command what you will and grant what you command. I think, I think all of us will say it's a great prayer, right? Anybody have any problems with this prayer? You know, it shows dependence on God. It shows God's sovereignty. It says the first part is like, Lord, command what you will. Right? He's sovereign. He can command what he wants. And that's what we see in the law, in everything else. He commands what he wills. And then the second part is for us, Lord, grant what you have commanded. Because we are unable to do it, Lord, grant what you have commanded. Pelagius took exception to the second part. Okay, he, of course, he agreed with the first part. Yes, God is sovereign. He can command what he wants. But he took exception to the second part, and we'll look at his teaching uh, shortly. But before we look at his teaching, just a brief bio on Augustine and Pelagianism. Sorry, Pelagius. Augustine, um, he was born in North Africa, 354, died in 430 AD. He converted in 386 um, 
again, he led a very sinful life. And if you want to, uh, there's a he wrote a book about his life. It's called The Confessions. And if you haven't read it, you should read it. It's a great book. It's a great read. There's so much he talks about, and he goes into so much theology and how God works and how he was and how God worked in his life and how he converted. And not just his testimony, but a lot more theological stuff. So Confessions, uh, if you haven't read it, you should uh, read it. He was ordained as a priest, and uh, he was trained in rhetoric, so he knew how to argue. He was, knew how to use logic. And he became a bishop of Hippo uh, later. So again, people have done their full PhDs on Augustine, on his teaching. He wrote many volumes. His thought was very influential in all of church history. And in fact, people have said like, that he was the greatest Christian theologian since Paul. Right? There, there were so many other people, Tertullian, Athanasius, and origin ignatius no but they put augustine above everybody with respect to his theology and with respect to his teachings um, but augustine was not perfect like any man he had his own blind spots he was not infallible and the greatest um, evidence or example of that was the reformation and bb warfield said it this way the reformation was the ultimate triumph of Augustine's doctrine of grace over Augustine's doctrine of the church, right? So his doctrine of the church was definitely not the best, I would say, uh, or however you want to say it, but um, the Reformation, his doctrine of grace triumphed over his doctrine of um, the church. Again, he, he had his blind spots also, but he was a great mind, and he influenced a lot of church history, and even to this day, people quote Augustine, and the Reformation definitely used a lot of Augustine. In fact, during the Reformation, both the Reformers and the Catholic Church both were quoting Augustine. And they were like, whoa, Augustine is on our, on our side. No, Augustine is on our side. So uh, again, there uh, lots to learn about Augustine there. Pelagius, again, he was a British monk. He was born in 350 AD, around 350 AD. Uh, he moved to Rome. He was a monk. He moved to Rome to teach the Bible. And he, when he went to Rome, he saw that Christians were living a very morally loose lives. And if you think about 350 AD, this is when Constantine had become the emperor. So Christians were in power. There was no more persecution. And Christians had... Uh, more freedom, they were not persecuted, so they were able to come into different positions in the government, in the empire, whatever, and because of which the Christians started indulging in a lot of worldly things. And when um, Pelagian, or Pelagius uh, got to Rome, he saw that these people are like, what are these people doing? These are supposed to be Christians and not supposed to be living such sinful lives. So he started in going into an ascetic theology. Ascetic theology, I mean, uh, denying self and denying things. Remember, he was a monk, right? So he wanted to teach about how you can, you shouldn't be indulging in the things of this world. And uh, later in 410, when Rome was being overthrown, he moved to North Africa, which is where Augustine also was and his followers were. And Pelagius' teaching were opposed and we'll look at the controversy. But again, in Council of Carthage, in 418 AD, Pelagius was declared a heretic. 
Okay. So again, if you all of this information is available on the net, I did not put it on your notes. It'll also be on the website when I put these slides up. So again, uh, just a brief history about Pelagius. So what did Pelagius teach that got him in trouble? He taught that all humans are created in the same moral state as Adam. But what does that mean? When Adam was created, he was created, uh, was he created good, evil, sinful? How was he created? Anybody? Good, very good, right? After God created Adam, Genesis 131, he says he saw everything was very good. So Adam was not sinful when God created. So humans were not sinful when God created them. They were good. He created them in his own image, right? And that is what Pelagius believed, that not just Adam, but all humans, when they're born, they're born in the same state as Adam was. So which means Adam's sin, his fall, had no effect on human race. Okay, so that is what he taught, that Adam's sin had no effect on human race. Yes, Adam sinned, but that was all up to Adam. He did not transfer any of those to his descendants. Nothing was, I mean, nobody after Adam was impacted by Adam's sin. And he said just, ha just as Adam was able to do good and also to do evil, which is why he actually committed the sin, just as he had the ability to do both good and evil, man or humans after Adam also have free will and they also have the ability to do good or evil. Okay, so you're not born with a sinful nature or you don't have any effects of Adam's sin on you. You are born morally neutral. Anything that you do from then on is all up to you. It's your free will. It's all your doing. Whether you do good or whether you do evil, it's all up to you. And he also said that the law was able to save even without the gospel, right? Because if you're able to do good things and the law is good, so you should be able to be saved by just doing what the law tells you to do, right? And the law is good and uh, you can keep it by yourself, by your own strength. You have the ability, you have the free will, you are not constrained by anything, you have to do it yourself. That is what he taught and he also said that you don't need grace. Grace helps you, it's assisting gift from God. It's there if you want it, it will help you to live, uh, to obey God's commands easily, but you don't really need it. Right, because you have the ability to do it. You are neutral. You have the ability. You can do good or evil. I mean, grace, yeah, okay. If you want, you can use it. But if you don't want, it's fine. You don't need it. It facilitates your growth, but it's not necessary. And with all this, you can see why he would have a problem with what Augustine said, right? When Augustine said, Lord, command what you will and grant what you command, Pelagius was like, what do you mean grant what you command? We already have the ability to do what God has commanded. God doesn't need to command, I mean, grant anything. 
He's made us. He's given us his law. That's good enough. We have everything that we need to follow his command. So whatever God commands, great. We can do it. We don't need God to give us anything more. And he said that God is just. He will not command what we cannot do. Okay? So this is what Pelagius taught. There's so, he, wrote, he wrote a lot of things, but this is basically the gist of his teaching. Any questions? Dan. Yeah, so the question is, wouldn't we agree with certain things that man has certain amount of free will and God is just? Yes. So there are truths in this statement that God is just. Yes, everybody knows God is just. But how, what does that mean? Right? How do, you, how do you apply it to your life? What does God is just mean? Right? And also, when we say we have a certain amount of free will, how much free will? Does that mean that we have the ability to choose good and evil by ourselves? That's, again, what Pelagius thought. I mean, taught, but um, again, is that true? Yes, there are certain truths, but again, what is the extent of those? It's just like God is love. Love is love. Where do you go from there, <laughs> right? So there are a lot of things which get distorted because they're half-truths. John? Very good question. We will come to it. How did he see the sacrifice of Christ? We will come to it. Donna, did you have a question? Uh, actually, that's kind of a question. But what are you saying with the ability of good and evil outside of God's grace? We really can't. We don't. We don't have the ability. Uh, that is what the Bible teaches, and that is what uh, Augustine also taught. So we will look at the responses. Uh, so Donna's comment was that outside of God's help, we don't have the ability for good and evil. Yes. Any other questions? Donna? So did he, um, Pelagius, fulfill the law himself? So the question is, did Pelagius fulfill the law himself? It's a very good question. I don't know if he thought he fulfilled the law himself, but he did think that they were perfect people. He did think that even before Jesus came, there were people who lived a perfect life. I mean, I don't know if he named anybody. Probably we can find it in his writings. And I don't know what... Sorry? I don't know. I, 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 again, we'll have to get deeper into what he wrote. And, uh, but the teaching was that he did believe that there were people who were perfect, who had kept the law, and who were saved because of that. He did believe that, and he did teach that. Yes. According to him, maybe. Was he saved? I don't know. I don't know. Yes, Bob. Does this remind you of Catholicism at all? Remind you of Catholicism? Yeah. Um, not exactly, and we'll see why. It does not remind me of Catholicism. All right, so this was Pelagius' teaching. So the next part is, why is this a problem? I know we've asked a lot of questions and answered them, but what is at stake? Every heresy that we've been looking at, we've been looking at how 
it is a problem for how we have defined heresy, that it is a false teaching against core Christian beliefs uh, with salvific importance. So how is this, uh, so what is at stake with Pelagianism? Anybody? Salvation, yes. You never would know. Knowledge, assurance. So, yeah, assurance, salvation, assurance. Christ's sacrifice, yes. John, coming to your question. So I have four points in your notes and also here. So first, of course, salvation. It makes salvation a works righteousness. It's all on you. It's sola bootstrapper. That's what my Hebrew teacher said. Sola bootstrapper. Just pull, up, pull yourself up by your bootstraps and get it done. Right? So it's works righteousness. It's self-righteousness. Atonement. Right? If you don't need Jesus' death, then what does the atonement become? It is not substitutionary. It's more an example. Jesus' life, his teachings, his death, his everything was an example for us to follow. He was a perfect man who kept the law and because of which he got killed, but his life is an example for us to follow. So that is what he thought of Jesus's atonement and his sacrifice. There was no sacrifice, it was just an example. Original sin, right? Original sin, uh, we'll look at original sin a little more uh, today, but original sins, humans do not have a sinful nature, right? <laughs> Sorry? I don't know. I don't know if he has met any of them, but his teaching was humans are not tainted by Adam's sin. Adam's sin was Adam's own, did not affect anybody after Adam. If people sin, it's because of their own actions, their own um, free will, okay? So original sin is out the door. Um, and then grace. He said grace is optional. It is not necessary. And again, part of the Reformation, we see sola, uh, sola gratia, uh, grace alone. Uh, so grace is out the door. You don't need grace. Yes, Donna. Yeah, it, yeah, so that's a good question, right? The question is, is there a standard how many sins you can commit and when you will be forgiven? Uh, I don't think those were thought out well, and those are the problems with the system, right? I mean, it's not like, at least if you think about it, Islam teaches similar things, right? That you have the ability to get to heaven by following the laws or the commands of Allah. And how will you be judged? If your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds, then you will make it to heaven. If your bad deeds are heavier or greater than your good deeds, then you will go to hell. That's what Islam teaches. It's all about works, right? You don't need sacrifice. Of course, they don't believe that Jesus even died on the cross. You don't need anything. All you need to do is good deeds. So this is, I mean, typical Islam, right? Pelagianism is typical Islam. There is, uh, yes, Adam's sin, but again, it's up to you to um, keep the commands. Yeah, so good deeds and bad deeds might be subjective. 
Um, yes, in, in, in Pelagius' system, yep, exactly, based on who's judging it. So in Pelagius' system, yes, they're all based on the law, whatever the law said. The law was great for Pelagius, right? Because the law is what helps you to know what is good and what is evil. And all the commands that God has given, according to uh, Pelagius, that was grace. God giving us, giving us his commands was grace because God was so gracious to us that he let us know what we should do and what we should not do. So the standard was the law, and the same thing for Muslims also. This, excuse me, the standard is the uh, Quran and all the life of Muhammad. So, yes, John. No, he didn't, I mean, the question is, did he look at Christ and say everybody should be executed because he's an example? No, I don't think that was his stance. It was more that Christ lived a full life. He fulfilled the law. He did everything that the Lord demanded. He was killed. That's how people die. That's how Christ died. But that doesn't mean that we will all be killed. Uh, again, he believed that there were people before Christ who had lived a good life, not necessarily persecuted and put to death, but they did live a good life. But again, different people. Old Testament law, yes, definitely Old Testament law. Okay. Yes. The the. No. So the comment is that in, even in the Old Testament there was still sacrifice. But no, according to Pelagius, if you keep all the things, you don't need a sacrifice. If you keep all the law. But in God's grace, he said, have a sacrifice because you've sinned. Right. So he does away with all of it? Yeah. So he, he the, the grace that, he, again, there was no, con, the only concept of grace that Pelagius had was that God gave us his law. That was God's grace towards us, to let us know what we need to do. And now we have the ability to do it or not do it. Yes. Yes, it removes. Uh, um, I don't know if you would say it. it uh, the comment is that it removes the idea of God's love. I, again, according to Pelagius, he would say God's love was displayed in God giving us the law. Yes, it is. It doesn't sound right, but. That is what he taught, right? That is his teaching. All right, so uh, what did Augustine respond? How did Augustine respond? Augustine taught that all men are sinned, have sinned in Adam, right? And again, the classic texts are Romans 5, 12 to 21, and also 1 Corinthians 15, 21 to 22. Again, if you read Romans 5, you can see how he talks about Adam, and he says, Paul says, in Adam, everybody sinned, and because of one man, death came to all humanity. And again, he says the same thing in 1 Corinthians 15, right? So, and that is what Augustine taught also. He taught that humans are born with a nature inclined to sin. And we'll talk a little more about original sin here, but we still sin freely. Yes, Corinne. No, not Adam. 
not Adam. As we said, Adam was born uh, good. Adam was created good, and he was not created with a sinful nature. And we'll talk a little bit about that when we get into original sin. Okay, so um, Augustine also said that we need grace first to be saved. Okay, we need God's grace first, not that we reach out to God, but God has to reach out to us first in his grace. Only then can we be saved. Grace does not find a man willing because he's sinful and, and he's in a sin nature, but grace makes him willing. That is what Augustine taught. And again, he quoted 1 Corinthians 4, 7, where Paul says, what do you have that you did not receive? Even the ability that you have is what God has given. Right? That's all grace. Then he said, God is the one who saves us. God must be the one who saves individuals. Man has fallen. He is sinful. He is not willing. He cannot save himself. Grace is needed, and grace is needed first, and it must be God who saves individuals, and because of which, he saves some, and but not others, and that's completely a different series of classes. Uh, we'll not get into that, but that is what he taught. No, I would say Jesus was the first one. To <laughs> no, Paul. <laughs> was he the uh, question was, was he the first one to teach the reform? No, Jesus taught it. Paul taught it. <laughs> a lot of people taught it. <laughs> Sorry, Donna. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right, so about free will, or about our will, Augustine said that our will is enslaved to sin. Right? We have a will. He didn't say, like the Gnostics, that we are robots or we don't have any control. He said that, yes, we have a will, but our will is enslaved to sin. He said that we have free will to do what we want. We have free will to do what we want, but we are not free to will what we ought. So we don't have the will to desire God's laws. We don't have the, desire, the will to do good things. But because our will is enslaved to sin, all our desires, all our choices are sinful. And that is the problem. We choose, but we choose sinfully. Yes, Rick? We, we do not have free will, we have self-will. Yeah? Post-Adam? So the question is, what about Noah? Did he not have a will to please God? So Noah was a descendant of Adam, so he was born with a sinful nature. 
there's a very important sentence when we read the account of Noah, where it says, and Noah found favor with God. <laughs> That's the key there. <laughs> yes, Derek. So Noah found favor with God as in God gave him the ability to do what God wanted him to do. I mean, it's just like grace, right? Grace reaches out, uh, changes our heart, gives us a new heart, and that's exactly what happened with Noah because that's how God works. I mean, of course, that statement is loaded, but again, when you read Hebrews also 11, it says, by faith Noah... Um, I think it does, um, that by faith Noah built the ark and things. So, yes, there, and again, even in Genesis 6-5, which is before the account of Noah, God says that the intention of man, every intention of man is evil. So, all right. So about free will, uh, again, Augustine taught four states of humans. He said Adam he was able to sin, and he was able not to sin, which is that neutral state, right? God created him good, which means he had the ability to sin, and he had the ability not to sin. So Adam could have said, no, I'm not eating that fruit, right? Um, after Adam, everybody who was born in Adam is, inherits the sinful nature, and if you, have, if you are an unbeliever, then you are not able not to sin, you have a sinful nature. Your will is enslaved to sin. All the desires of your heart are sinful, are towards evil, and you, have, you do not have the ability not to sin. When you believe in Jesus, when you are reborn, that's when your sinful nature is gone. The old is gone and the new has come, uh, First, 2 Corinthians 5.17. And in the new, you have a new heart, and you're restored back to how God cre created humans, you're back to you have the ability to sin and you have the ability not to sin. But again, it's because of the Holy Spirit living in you who gives you the ability not to sin. Right? It's not, as Pelagius said, you're just by yourself. No, it's grace. Again, that's how you're regenerated. And the Holy Spirit is now living in you and you have the ability to sin and you have the ability not to sin. And it depends on how sanctified you are in different moments that determines whether you sin or not. Um, and finally, in heaven, when we are glorified, we will not have the ability to sin. There will be no sin in heaven. This is what Augustine taught. Yes, John. How did they define sin? Sin is missing God's commands. Sin is missing God's mark. Sorry? All commands. I mean, you can go through the law, right? I mean, the moral law, you could say, do not worship other gods, or you shall not lie, you shall not commit adultery. So those, a lot of the things, again, those are carried over into the New Testament. Again, if you go to my website, I wrote, wrote a paper, a couple of articles on how the law applies to us Christians. Um, so yes, that's the law, uh, God's law is moral, and even uh, the teachings of Jesus all of those are keeping us away from sin. But there is a difference 
No, we're just talking about the ability of believers and compared to Adam. So yes, there is a difference between believers and Adam, uh, but we're talking about only the ability of people to sin or not to sin. You could talk about other things, yes, there is a difference, but when it comes to uh, our ability compared to Adam's ability to sin, we, are, we have the ability to sin or not to sin. Yes. Yes. I think that's a completely different topic. Yeah, I know. Let, uh, yeah, we can talk about it, but that's, yeah, that's a good question. Angels also, um, yeah, we can look at how angels were created and how they sinned, or Lucifer, how he sinned. So we can look at that also, but this, again, try to keep it to humans because I'm running out of time, sorry. <laughs> All right, so this was what Augustine taught, and eventually, as I said, Pelagius was condemned a heretic. There was a council, Council of Carthage, in 41880, and it doesn't mean that they believed everything Augustine said. They, they were not fully Augustinian, but they were definitely denounced what Pelagian, Pelagius taught. Okay, they affirmed original sin. They affirmed that humans have a sinful nature because of Adam's fall. They affirmed that we don't have the ability outside of God's help. So they affirmed all those things. Um, so he was declared a heretic. Okay, so briefly about original sin. When we talk about original sin, original sin does not refer to Adam's first sin. Right? Adam eating of the fruit. That is not what is meant by original sin. Original sin is our sin as a result of Adam's fault. It's what we have inherited because of Adam's sin. Right? It doesn't mean that Adam's eating of the fruit, um, that we sinned, we went against God's law in Adam, but not the actual act. So original sin is our sin as a result of Adam's fall. It is inherited sin. Yes, Rick. Would it be more precise to say it is sin that is ours as a result of Adam's fall, inherited sinfulness? Like we don't inherit his guilt from his particular sin. We, we inherit guilt. So we'll, we'll talk about that. So the question is, is sinfulness, as in we don't inherit guilt, but we'll talk about that in bullet number three. Um, it's not called original because that is what our original nature was. Remember, God created humans, and he said that they were very good, right? So our original nature, humans, original nature was in the image of God, in the image and likeness of God, but in Adam's sin, it was marred, okay? So that our sinful nature is not our original nature. If that was our original nature, then we don't have hope for redemption, right? Because that's all we could be, sinful. But no, that's not how God created us. He created us in his image. He created us sinless. And we have, and that is the hope we have that in Jesus, when we believe in him, um, we, will, uh, we will be done. We will do away with our sinful nature and um, 
be sanctified. And it is the, it's Adam's fall imputed to us. And finally, it is still our sin. We are guilty before God and have a polluted nature. Okay, it does not mean that because of Adam's sin, we only inherit a sinful nature, but we are fallen before God, right? We are guilty before God. And that's why you see Psalm 51.5, David saying, in, I was brought forth in sin. In sin, my mother conceived me, right? And then going back to what uh, Paul said in Romans, there is no one good, no, not one, right? So all of us have fallen short uh, because of original sin, that we are guilty before God, and we have a polluted nature. Okay, again, so much more to say about this, but just briefly, quick three points about original sin, and there could be two classes just on original sin and the impact of original sin. All right, so why is it relevant today? Because Pelagians, Pelagian beliefs are all around us. Any, any examples? Without looking at your handouts? People say, oh, man is basically good. Man is basically good. Yeah. Right? Where do you get that from? Pelagius. Because the Bible says there's no one good. No, not one. Yeah, God will give you what he wants. Just ask him. There is a lot of truth to it also, but I know what you're trying to say is just that he will give you. You'll, he will, I mean, it's still God give, God's giving you, so there is a little bit of dependence on God, but Pelagius would say no dependence on God. Right? Rick? By being a good person, yes. The good person theology. Uh, deep down, humans are inherently good. We do bad things, but we are not bad people, right? I'm sure you've heard that, even among Christians. Um, we are sin we're not sinners by birth, and this is a lot of even Arminians who say we are sinners because we sin. But no, the Bible says we sin because we are sinners, right? And then again, I'm a good person. Ask anybody, how will you go to heaven? I'm a good person. I've done enough good deeds, and God will judge me based on that, and I will go to heaven. I'm a good person. I don't need Jesus. I don't need grace. I've done enough good things. But he was a good example. Jesus was a good example, yes. We can look up to him, but his death does nothing. Again, good person theology. Yes, Donna. Okay, the Arminians don't completely do away with original sin. And I, I knew this would come up, but it's very difficult for me to get into it right now because of the time that we have. Again, if we do have another series on doctrines of grace or whatever, we can talk about it. But uh, Arminians are different. And today's Arminians are a mix of Arminianism and semi-Pelagianism. We'll talk about semi-Pelagianism very quickly, but... It's, uh, it's a little different. Okay, so this is the relevance. So watch out for people or any teaching or anything that you hear which says, we are all good, so kindle the good in you. Pull, up, pull yourselves up or whatever. Fan the flame. All these things are scriptural verses, but 
It depends on how it is used and how it is applied, right? So after Pelagianism was declared heretical, there was another movement which was called semi-Pelagianism because they did not believe everything that Pelagius taught, but there was a difference. Um, so again, here is the comparison. They still did not believe that man was guilty before God. They said man is not guilty before God in his original state, as in, in because of original sin. There is no original sin. Man is not guilty before God. Pelagius taught that man does not have a sin nature, but the semi-Pelagians believe that, yes, man has a partial sin nature, right? Only some parts of man's nature was tainted with sin, not the whole thing, right? So that he had a partial sin nature. Pelagius said, you don't need grace, but semi-Pelagians said, yes, you need grace for you, you, um, you don't need grace to initiate your salvation, which means you have the ability to reach out to God. But after you reach out to God, God has to cooperate. So that's where grace comes in, right? You take the first step, and then God will cooperate, and then you will be saved. So that is what semi-Pelagian taught. I mean, you don't have sin nature, um, but you have the ability, you have a you have a partial sin nature, sorry. You don't have guilt, you have partial sin nature, you have the ability to reach out to God and get his help, but once you reach out, God has to cooperate. If God does not cooperate, then you cannot be saved. So there is grace needed, uh, but not at the beginning, not the first thing. Okay. So this is what semi-Pelagian became, and it was taught, and there were a lot of teachers um, who did this, who, ta who taught this also. Again, there was a council, and you could call it orange, but it's not orange, it's orange in French, I guess. Uh, Semi-Pelagian was condemned heretical in Council of Orange in uh, 529 AD. Okay, so those were the heresies about human nature, the major ones. Uh, of course, we looked at Gnosticism also, we taught, which taught that the body was evil, different things about humanity, but the main thing which impacts salvation was Pelagianism and semi-Pelagianism. Okay, any questions? Yes, Amy. Absolutely. And what Amy was saying is that these may be uh, people who believe these things, may be good people, they may be doing a lot of good things, being good citizens, um, but if you don't have the necessity for grace, necessity for Christ, it's very difficult to evangelize to them. So yes, I mean, you feel, you see that a lot with um, Catholics also, because they do what the church tells them to do, and they're like, I'm doing what the church tells me to do, so... I'm good. Anything else? We have one last slide as our conclusion of the series and today. Um, one last question before we go to the last slide. Do you do the doctrines of 
talk to Kevin. <laughs> Can I do the doctrines of grace? Talk to Kevin. All right, so we're concluding our series today, and I just wanted to give some main points from what we have learned. We've looked at many different heresies in the early church, heresies about the Word of God, heresies about creation, which was Gnosticism, heresies about Christ's nature, his humanity, his divinity, and then we also looked at the creeds and how different sections of the creeds were Put in, put in to refute and to guard us against all of these different heresies. And then today we looked at the heresy against man's nature and how man is with respect or before God. Okay. So again, want you to remember that heresy is a false teaching against core Christian doctrines of salvific importance. Anyone believes in pre-tribulation eschatology? That's not a heresy. Okay. We don't know how the world's going to end and. Uh, there are a lot of different theories, so don't consider them heretics because of their eschatology. It's not a core Christian doctrine, it's on the periphery, okay? Um, again, we need to learn about heresies, and hopefully this has helped us to learn about these things because truth matters, theology matters. Everyone is a theologian, when even people who say, who say, I don't care about theology, all I, worry, all I need is Jesus. Okay, tell me about Jesus. The minute they say, open their mouth, they're talking theology, right? So everyone is a theologian, and theology matters. We need to know how to defend our faith. When we know where the attacks are coming from, it'll be easy for us to defend our faith. And more importantly, or most importantly, we should not repeat those heresies. We should not fall into them, okay? And again, as we have seen over and over again, nobody started a heresy because they wanted to start a heresy. They tried to make sense of the teachings of who God is, who Jesus was, who man is. They tried to make sense of it, but they strayed far away from the narrow way. They strayed too far from the scriptures, from what the church has believed, has taught, and they ended up being heretical. And that happens even today, right? Nobody goes out there to say, I'm going to start a heresy, I'm going to start this, which is going to completely... Uh, overthrow Christianity. No, they're trying to bring their understanding to different people, and we have to test it to make sure that they are within the guardrails. And that is why we should learn the creeds. We looked at four creeds last week, Apostles' Creed, Nicene Creed, um, Chalcedonian Creed, and Athanasian Creed. Those give us sufficient guidelines and guardrails for us to stay within so we don't fall into these heresies. And finally, we should guard ourselves with the word of God. There is no creed that is above the Bible. The Bible is the ultimate authority for us, and we should know our Bibles so we don't fall into these heresies. Okay? Um, any final comments? One last comment before we pray and close. Yes, Rick. Thank you, Jai. Thank you, Jai. <laughs> yes. All right. Uh, let's pray. We, we, we're running out of time. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you again for this series, Lord. We thank you how you have acted in history. And Lord Jesus, you said that you will build your church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And Lord, we thank you that you have continued to do that. You're faithful to your promise and you are continuing to build your church even to this day. And Lord, we pray that you will build us up also, that you will help us to be within 
the guardrails that your saints before us have given us and that we will glorify you in everything that we do and we will lead people who have gone astray into the true knowledge of who you are, Lord. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.